0: Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, are going to be having a chat about... A global pandemic—a sickness that spread across much of the world, leaving a trail of devastation of, and, of course, death in its wake. And you know by now that Half Ass History, here at Half as History, you know we like to keep up to date with current affairs. We've got our finger on the pulse with what's going on. It's very important to stay informed of the latest developments and the and the two-minute updates when it comes to global happenings, especially when human health is concerned. And so, for that reason, we are covering the Black Death. It hasn't even been 700 years, my friends, hasn't even been 700 years since one of the worst pandemics in human history, a disease that killed up to 60% of Europe's entire population. We don't have a hard, a firm number exactly how many people died, but up to 60% it's been estimated of Europe's entire population died. You've definitely heard of this before, the Black Death, the Black Plague, the Great Plague, the Bubonic Plague, uh, Yersinia pestis for uh, the the more medically minded out there. It's got a lot of names, but I tell you what, it's got one very specific set of skills. It will find you and it will kill you, probably. Um, The Black Death ravaged Europe in the mid-14th century, killing millions upon millions of people uh, at a time when the global population was only around 500 million people you know in total so it was it was a very you know a broad percentage of uh, of the world not just europe europe's population but broadly uh, you know the general population of the entire world and today we're going to talk about uh, what caused it, how it spread, what the disease looked like at its very worst, and uh, and then of course chat about some of the longer term effects and, and consequences of the whole affair. Because there were quite quite an interesting, you know, the, the wake of the Black Black Death was was very interesting indeed. Um, I mean, the whole thing pretty fascinating. It was fascinating to go a little deeper on this famous pandemic, especially at a time like today when the world is coming to grips uh, with uh, another, you know, well, hopefully less deadly disease in COVID nineteen um and uh, so let's get to it thank you to megan who suggested this as an idea cashing in cashing in on the global attention that's being put on uh, you know pandemics and diseases at the moment so ruthlessly mercantile of me gotta get those clicks gotta get those num pump those numbers up rookie numbers uh, in this racket here but let's get to it let's get to it and talk about the uh, the before during and after of this uh, this momentous and, and a very terrible event in human history the great plague the black death so we're going all the way back here. Going all the way back to the early 14th century. Here, our story begins with some small rodents who were living in Central Asia, uh, where you'd find today the modern-day uh, istan countries that you know Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan. This is uh, you know the steppes of uh, Central Asia is where a, a bunch of cute little animals, marmots and the like, they were hanging out in the uh, you know in, the, in Central Asia, as I say, minding their own business, you know, eating, digging, hibernating, having a great time. But due to naturally occurring uh, climate change, uh, however, the, the world was the world was about to enter into a period known as the Little Ice Age, thanks to uh, things like increased volcanic activity, variation in solar radiation, all sorts of other boring stuff we don't need to get into. The long and the short of it is this. The early 13th century, these little, uh, these little rodents, they're cutting about in the, in the Central Asian steppes, they began to run out of food. Vegetation became more and more scarce as the climate got harsher. And so sensibly, you might think, These rodents, they packed their proverbial bags and they began to seek more bountiful regions. And many of them, of course, ended up in areas with human populations, complete with acres of farmland to munch on, as well as settlements with lots and lots of the most delicious garbage for them to eat. The problem here, however, is that the fleas that they brought with them were absolutely stuffed chock-a-block full of Yersinia pestis, this bacterium that causes the plague. Now, to make things even worse, humans at this time had uh, had quite enough going on without the introduction of the bloody plague, thank you very much. The Mongol conquests of the 13th century had ruined farming and trading in this area. You can hear more about the Mongols in episode 17, of course. Um, and recovery had been forestalled by a bunch of bad weather and natural disasters in the 1330s. And importantly for our story, Europe particularly got done in by the great famine at the end of the medieval warm period when years of brutal winters destroyed crops killed livestock and led to widespread fa- uh, starvation this meant right that when these bloody little marmots and rats and and, and whatever else arrived down from the steppes you know they've got their their precious plague-ridden cargo riding shotgun along with them even though they know we near Europe they still come across uh, human populations that are suffering from famine and disease having a bloody terrible time and the impact is felt very swiftly indeed, because there are there are graves dated from as early as 1338 and 1339 that indicate that their occupants died of the plague. So it's safe to say that these rodents and their fleas they made themselves very much at home. They settled in very nicely now, and the spread of the uh, and the spread of the plague began in earnest here. So it took hold in uh, in Central Asia and and quickly began to spread. Rats and fleas uh, infected humans as they made their way around the world, traveling merchants or armies or whatever else. Um, So the disease, it spread throughout China, taking countless lives. But unfortunately, there's not a huge amount of historical literature on this part of the plague story, as is often the way. The European perspective on all of this has been much more thoroughly explored by historians. Um, And so that's the direction which our story continues today, along the Silk Road from Asia into Europe, as rats and fleas and humans work together wonderfully to bring the Black Death further and further west. Now, the flashpoint for the Black Death and its spread into Europe was in 1347, when it first arrived in... Italy. So we're having a little bit of uh, we're having a little bit of the, the present uh, mirroring the past uh, these days as well here. There were stories of a deadly sickness from the East. They'd made it to Europe. People had heard of the, the death and the devastation, the piles of corpses and all the rest of it. Um, but as I said, they had enough to be getting on with. Widespread famine, smaller disease epidemics, skyrocketing b- grain prices, pitiful living standards, economies stuck in uh, in vicious circles. Here, labourers who were crippled by hunger and illness couldn't afford to work. They couldn't. They couldn't work effectively. You know, they they didn't have the energy. They didn't have the health. The you know they weren't in good nick, uh, which meant, of course, that that um, harvests failed, which led to food shortages, which meant that labourers were crippled by hunger and illness, which meant that they couldn't work effectively, and the cycle goes on and on and on. And the governments of the day too, they acted with horrific short-sightedness. They raised rents and, uh, and, and you know, damned the working classes to further poverty and starvation. And all of this was in addition to, you know, typhoid and anthrax outbreak, anthrax outbreaks. It really wasn't a good time to be a European peasant. Uh, the, 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 the deck really was stacked against them at this point. And the long and the short of it was, was that Europe in particular was in an extremely vulnerable position and that the plague turned up on its shores at exactly the wrong moment. Or, well, I guess, actually, depending on who you're barracking for, exactly the right moment, depending on which side of the fence you're on there. Anyway, as I mentioned, it was 1347 when it all kicked off properly in Europe when a number of Genoese galleys arrived in Sicily. Now, most sources say that there were 12 of these galleys, but some indicate that there were four. But look, honestly, it doesn't really matter how many galleys there were. What matters is what was in there, what, what, what these galleys were loaded with, because they were filled with sick and dying sailors, and of course scores of rats and their plague-bearing parasites, these galleys had come from Kaffa, a city in Crimea that's known today as Feodosia, and and Kaffa was absolutely chock-a-block full of the de- of the Black Death as well. The reason uh, that Kaffa was full of the plague, interestingly, is because of biological warfare perpetrated by Mongol invaders. The city had been besieged by uh, Jani Beg, a, a Mongol Khan, whose plague-infected army had flung corpses over the city walls with catapults. This is one of the earliest examples of weaponizing a disease like this. I mean, humans have become obviously very inventive, very talented at killing each other. And, uh, and this was another wonderful breakthrough in that regard. Um, anyway, these plague-ridden galleys, they arrived in Messina, uh, or is it Messina? Messina? In Sicily. And they bring the Black Death with them, and the disease quickly spread across the entire island. The sailors aboard—I mean, well, those those you know those those that were left alive—they uh, were deathly ill. They were covered in these great big disgusting growths or, or buboes uh, that leaked pus and blood. It was bloody horrible. Uh, and obviously, the Sicilians—they weren't too keen on having these sailors cutting, you know, cutting about in Messina. Uh, so uh, you know they turned around. They they said no 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 you're not landing here. They ordered the ships to turn around and sail elsewhere. But already, but you know before the ships could even leave the harbour again, it was far too late. As they were ordered out. I mean there'd been enough contact between people there uh, for for the plague to have uh, to have spread into Sicily itself, and uh, it quickly overtook the entire island and made its way onto the Italian peninsula, onto the mainland of Europe. Uh, there there were more galleys uh, that that landed from Kaffa. They landed in Genoa, in Venice, in Marseille. And even if they were turned away, even if these death ships, as they were called, were, uh, were turned away from the ports, it didn't take too much for the, for, for the plague to uh, to make its way onto, you know, onto shore and start infect, uh, infecting people there. And so the plague, well and truly, uh, the, the infection spread very, very swiftly indeed uh, once, once all this took place. Before long, huge outbreaks had taken hold throughout the Italian peninsula, spreading further and further inland, along the coast of the southern Mediterranean in France as well. Um, and during the uncommonly hot summer of 1348, the Black Death spread northwest into France, into Spain, and then further north and further west from there into both England and Portugal. And by 1350, the disease had taken hold in Germany, in Scandinavia, in Scotland, and even into uh, the notoriously difficult to invade Russia as well. And similarly, in uh, in other areas south of Europe, uh, the disease was uh, was spreading with great gusto. It made its way into, into uh, Egypt. And then through the east coast of the Mediterranean, ripping through Palestine, Syria, Lebanon, and then up into uh, into modern-day Turkey as well. And it was actually the hot weather that contributed to the spread of the disease for an extremely interesting reason. The hot weather killed off a whole bunch of these flea-ridden rats. Now, these fleas, obviously, you know, they need new hosts. And so, after the rats die, they boinged their way onto unsuspecting humans, and thereby uh, transferred the the plague bacteria once they'd found new hosts. So, it is safe to say that the Black Death found a very welcome home in Europe, in particular in Europe. I mean, it did spread throughout, you know, uh, northern Africa and parts of Asia as well, but it was in Europe that it really did its best work, uh, because it found a vulnerable, starved, and already diseased population ripe for the taking here. And I tell you what the Black Death it made itself at home in no uncertain terms it ravaged people and left countless millions dead in its wake so let's have it let's have a chat about the symptoms of the black Death the black Death by the way is the name given to this outbreak of the plague the disease itself is the plague there are a couple of different variations of it as we'll, as we'll discuss. A bit, you know, often these terms are used synonymously. When we talk about the Black Death, we're talking about the outbreak of plague in the mid 14th century here. The Black Death, the Black Plague, the Great Plague, whatever it is, the disease itself called plague, and this event called the Black Death. Um, and uh, its symptoms were as you probably already know, extremely nasty. Uh, so let's have a talk about the symptoms and also how people actually responded to uh, to, the, to the spread of the plague, the spread of the Black Death. And to hear what the disease looked like, let's actually hear from someone who was there at the time and saw it with his own eyes. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to secure him as a live guest on the podcast. This is a, a writer named Giovanni Boccaccio, who was uh, was kicking about in the 14th century and wrote the following. <clears throat> In men and women alike, it first portrayed itself by the emergence of certain tumours in the groin or armpits, some of which grew as large as a common apple, others as an egg. From the two said parts of the body, this deadly gavocciolo, or bubo, soon began to propagate and spread itself in all directions indifferently, after which the form of the malady began to change. Black spots or livid, making their appearance in many cases on the arm or the thigh or elsewhere, now few and large, now minute and numerous. As the gavocciolo had been and still was an infallible token of approaching death, such also were the spots on whomsoever they showed themselves. In summary, there were great big nasty buboes, usually centered around the armpits, the neck and and the rooty-nuty bits, which oozed blood and pus if they burst, um, and generally, if you got him, you were dead. That was basically, you know, it, it wasn't 100% of the case. You know, there were some people who did survive it, but, uh, you know, B- Boccaccio, broadly speaking, has the right of it. Uh, if you if you got any of these symptoms, you were, you know, you, you were probably toast. Um, and it wasn't just the buboes either. You'd get a uh, horrific fever, you'd start coughing up blood, you'd get great big rashes. And, and in some cases, uh, pneumonia-like symptoms in addition to all of that. Bubonic plague and uh, and pneumonic plague are slightly different types of plague. There's also a septicemic plague for the true collector. Uh, but that didn't much matter to people back then, which particular flavour of the plague they'd got. Uh, you know, they were dying all the same. But between all of its different Forms the plague. It had a bit of everything. It'd start with chest or abdominal pain, shortness of breath, headaches, nausea, chills, diarrhea, and then before you know, before too long, you'd end up vomiting up blood. You'd get gangrene, organ failure, and of course, ultimately, death. Um, getting the plague was usually a death sentence. The mortality rate was uh, was, was truly astronomical, as I mentioned, uh, and, and most people died within a week of contracting it. But in some cases, it would happen even faster. There were there are stories of people going to bed in perfect health and waking up. Uh, on death's door if 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 they ever woke in uh, uh, ever again in fact uh, the black death it took no prisoners it took no prisoners whatsoever it killed almost everyone it infected and absolutely ravaged the population of europe but of course the medical practices of the mid 13th century weren't exactly uh, helping, it. well, actually, if anything, they were probably helping the disease rather than uh, than those infected. and that of course definitely impacted the death rate there. The germ theory of disease is still centuries away from this from this point in history. and back then people didn't have a clue as to what was actually causing the plague. One of the leading theories at the time was what uh, was what's known as the miasma theory the uh, the idea that breathing in bad airs or miasma could infect you I mean not not the most unreasonable thing I suppose that, you know given how much uh, you know death and disease tends to stink. Uh, and, and that of course to smell it, you have to be you know close enough for germs to be potentially transmissible but uh, this is why plague doctors had the long beak-like masks on. they believed that by not breathing in the bad smells from corpses or infect people they could uh, could avoid getting sick. so uh, so this was the prevailing wisdom if you could call it that uh, you know that the, the, the plague was transmitted by air by by bad smells whereas today obviously we know that it was trans- it's, it's transmitted by uh, via contact with the bacteria, usually via the bloodstream thanks to thanks to fleas. And this huge misunderstanding of, of, of you know, the nature of this disease uh, meant that the already abysmal hygiene practices of most people, they weren't improved upon at all. You know, people are, are, are thinking that it's 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 an airborne disease or that it's, you know, they don't really, I mean, they, they don't really have a particularly full understanding of how it works at all. And they're not doing anything remotely sensible to try to protect themselves from it whatsoever. I mean, you know, to put things in perspective, especially, you know, these days when, You know, sensible medical advice is that you should be washing your hands very regularly. Indeed, you know you're showering regularly as well. I hope you, you dirty bloody grot bags. Um, This is at a time in history where most people would usually wash themselves twice a year. I mean, life as a European peasant at this time was absolutely filthy, and you know, not in the sort of cool grown up way either. Towns and villages they were rife with waste and and, and 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 refuse. There were There were people living in close proximity to animals, diseases everywhere. It was absolutely gross. Hand-washing, keeping homes and public areas clean and sanitary. None of that. Absolutely not. Bring the cow inside for a night, uh, you know, uh, in at night to keep us all warm. You know, sleep on the floor next to farm animals. No worries at all. And that, of course, is in addition to uh, all the uh, so-called doctors doing stuff like bleeding their patients to cure them not washing their hands wearing masks nothing like that it was absolutely laughable the way that the the doctors uh, treated this disease bleeding patients lancing and draining the boils you know they, these were very good ways to uh, get more people infected by having you know blood and pus and all that other sort of nasty yunk everywhere like that for other people to touch some doctors were also they they were they, they didn't even think it was uh, it was miasma some doctors were convinced that it uh, it wasn't the bad air that infected you it was making eye contact with an infected person. So you had to go under the bloody blindfold on rather than a surgical mask, get one of them surgical masks and put it across your eyes, mate, to protect yourself. Unbelievable. Although fortunately, actually, I'll mention this as well. Many doctors very cleverly realise that probably the best way for them to avoid getting sick themselves was to actually abandon their patients altogether. And so, you know, maybe them ignoring their duties and leaving patients to fend for themselves may have actually helped people out a bit because doctors, I tell you, weren't they? tell you what, they weren't moving the needle in the right direction at all. Anyway, overall it was a pretty soft matchup for the black death it really was without you know but many people doing anything at all to contain or curtail the spread of the disease whatsoever the only communities that were meaningfully spared from the black death were those that were sort of significantly isolated from the outside world for example mountain towns villages that were high up across the uh, across the alps they were the ones that were generally uh, spared from the worst the worst ravages of the disease but there, was, there is also an example of a town establishing a quarantine to protect itself from the disease. Uh, Ragusa, better known to, uh, as today's Dubrovnik in uh, in Croatia, uh, it sought to it was a city state at the time and it sought to curtail the Black Death with a quarantine as late as 1377. So you know a few people had did have their heads screwed on correctly, but for the most part, the Black Death was horrifically. Terrifyingly deadly uh, and, and wiped out a, a staggeringly huge percentage of the population of Europe in the mid 14th century. Now, there's not much of a consensus uh, on, uh, you know, w- when it comes to actual figures, but there are broad numbers that tend to get thrown around pretty consistently. You may have heard uh, that it killed a third of Europe. That is generally considered to be on the lower end of the estimates by a lot of historians. Uh, within four years. Uh, claims medieval historian Philip Dayleader, about 45 to 50 percent of Europe's population was killed by the Black Plague, so uh, as high as 50 percent, according to a uh, to daily to there, and th- and that's Europe, uh, you know, that's Europe overall. In, in in some areas, the figure was much much higher. For example, in Southern Europe, where the disease was first introduced, that figure is probably closer to uh, to 75 or 80 percent. And then you know, the further you get away from uh, so from the sort of flashpoint of the disease, the lower that number becomes. But still, 45 to 50 percent, that's that's no joke at all. Um, and and you know, particularly devastating, as I say, in places like Italy. I mean, the, the population of Florence didn't reach pre-Black Death levels until the 19th century. It didn't recover until the 19th century to what it was before the Black Death, uh, you know, absolutely kicked its head in there. Um, other historians as well put the figure even higher than that. Ola Benedicto, uh claims that it was as high as 60%, which would mean that 50 million of Europe's 80 million people died. Just imagine what that must have been like. It would have felt like the end of the world. It would have felt like the end of the bloody world, mate. And outside of Europe, the numbers aren't much better. It's estimated that 40% of Egypt's population was killed and throughout the Middle East, uh, at least 30% of the population died as well. And uh, so as you might imagine, as you might imagine, deaths on this scale had an absolutely monumental impact on Honestly, look on on just about everything. To be honest, it caused political and religious upheaval. It caused huge social and economic disruption. Its effects echoed throughout the centuries afterwards. Um, so, I, I want to talk about all these consequences. But we're going to do an we're going to we're going to take a, a sort of good news bad news approach to getting across all the consequences of the Black Death here. And we're going to start with all the bad stuff that came of it before talking about uh, about some of the more positive impacts that it had uh, in the years afterwards. So. First and foremost, as we get stuck into the bad news here, first and foremost, of course, the death toll, death, the deaths of countless, countless millions. I think I said the world population uh, was estimated to, be, uh, to have been around 500 million at, at the time of the Black Death, uh, maybe a little less, but it dropped to around 350 to 375 million after the Black Death. So, you know, I, I've said that humans are very good at killing each other, we've had lots of practice, but it's just we are we're so bad at it nothing it's nothing compared to how good some diseases are at killing off humans the second world war one of the biggest conflicts in in the history of our species killed between 70 million uh, 70 and uh, 70 and 85 million people right about 3% of the population at the time whereas the black death killed potentially twice as many people as the second world war and didn't even have nukes i mean Unbelievable numbers, numbers that just absolutely defy our comprehension here. And of course, with so many people dead, social order completely broke down while the disease was at its peak many people they fled population centers and tried to hide from the black death in you know in sparsely populated but the sparsely populated countryside and uh, this didn't work at all because animals could also get the uh, get the plague millions of sheep and cows and pigs and goats and chickens also died along with humans so uh, you know people fleeing the city for the countryside didn't do anything other than just you know leave vast sections of urban communities completely underpopulated there, um, and people rejected the authority of governments and churches, uh, who had obviously completely failed to protect them from the Black Death, and chaos and anarchy. Was absolutely. It was, it was complete, widespread. It was looting, a breakdown of law and order. It was. It was. It was. It was just. It was a wild and chaotic time. And governments, for their most part, I mean, you know, they were relatively powerless in fairness to do anything about the plague. Not that that, not that that stopped them from trying. Uh, for example, England banned the import of grain in order to attempt to curtail further spread of the disease, uh, which led. This was a very big brain play from England because it led to its un, already underfed population. Having even less access to food, so a real a real 200 IQ move from the, from the English government there. Um, and don't forget as well that politics stops for no one. There was you know stuff like the Hundred Years' War. It's still going on between France and England. Plenty of other conflicts were available for for people looking for a, you know a more interesting, interesting and exciting way to die rather than the plague. So there was you know stuff like this was not put on hold for for the Black Plague. There were there were still plenty of ways for you to you know go and enjoy a messy death on the battlefield, as, uh, uh, or you know if if it's so if, if you so chose. Instead of a, a messy death in a in a squalid uh, in a squalid dirty town somewhere. Anyway. Religious fanaticism also, uh, quite characteristically, I would say, led to a lot of very negative consequences as people convinced themselves that this was, you know, some kind of divine punishment sent by their particular deity. Uh, you may have heard of the flagellants, uh, these wackos who went from town to town, whipping themselves bloody with uh, with whips and scourges, and, and having a, you know a great big bloody carry on about how the Black Death had been sent by God to you know punish sinners. And <laughs> one of my favourite lines, actually, from these religious nutcases, uh, it, it came instead from the Middle East, from the Islamic clergy. Uh, who you know weren't going to be outdone by the Christians when it came to uh, to being absolute wackos here because there was a there were some Muslim clerics who claimed that the Black Death was a martyrdom and a mercy sent by Allah uh, that would send believers to paradise, so you know claiming that it was uh, the divine will uh, of the Almighty but what about uh, what about the heretical in uh, infidels and their false beliefs you know what about them are they all they're also dying of this black plague so surely they're not going to paradise ah uh, no so uh, the, the clerics say ah oh, no 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 well you see for them the plague is a punishment while for us it's a blessing this makes total sense when you just don't think about it too you know don't think about it too deeply but uh, th- th- that is how it works it's i mean this sort of thinking was actually so bad uh, throughout throughout the Islamic world that many Muslim doctors actually refused to treat their patients at all because they didn't want to end you know they, they didn't want to uh, attempt to work against a divinely mandated plague. So utterly ridiculous! It doesn't matter what what part of the world you're in, you know the, the people with their foolish beliefs were well and truly holding back the steady march of progress here, but. Unfortunately, uh, that is not where the religious fanaticism and its negative consequences ended. Uh, It's very unfortunate. Uh, Many Europeans indulged in the uh, many European Christians indulged in the age-old tradition, their their age-old tradition of anti-Semitism, and placed the blame for the Black Plague squarely on the soldiers of the Jews. Now, uh, Jewish, po- Jewish populations had actually fared a lot better with the plague for a couple of reasons. Uh, they were much more hygienic than your average, average Christian at the time. There were actually Jewish laws that mandated uh, hand-washing before eating bread or uh, or after going to the dunny. And uh, they also bathed once a week before the Sabbath rather than, you know, twice a bloody year. Um, And in in addition to this, Jewish communities were generally isolated from Christians as they lived in separate ghettos and were generally there, you know, generally therefore had limited interaction. There was limited interaction between the two peoples. But nonetheless, unfortunately, Jews were blamed and and targeted by Christians throughout Europe. They were were accused of poisoning wells, uh, and these accusations were bolstered when some Jews, you know, after being... Tortured to within an inch of their lives, falsely confessed to uh, to you know having done this, and uh, obviously this you know fed into uh, to, to the Christian narrative there. Um, and uh, you know the general breakdown in society also led to riots, and unfortunately even massacres of Jews in different places across Europe. You know as they as they were scapegoated for the for the Black Death, bloody terrible. And uh, you, you know, especially here, they're actually they're ahead of the times, aren't they? They're ahead of the times. They're probably washing their hands and isolating themselves and doing all the things we're told to do to do, do today, and, and they're getting punished for it. So it was, it was you know, truly just really really bloody terrible it was it was it was absolutely bloody terrible anyway it wasn't all doom and gloom, gloom i'm happy to say i mean obviously definitely a lot of lot of doom a lot of gloom cutting about at the time let's be honest actually uh, most uh, most art and literature to, uh, that emerged from this period is uh, is very dark you know all skeletons and deaths and something like that in fact it's actually it's thought that uh, the modern representation of death the grim reaper of course i'm very i'm sure you're very familiar with the grim reaper uh, or maybe hopefully not too familiar <laughs> hopefully not too familiar there this, uh, this picture we we have of the personification of death, the Grim Reaper, this emerged during the 14th century. This is when it first started cropping up as a, you know, a, again, as a representation, as, as a personification, of the idea of death. Uh, the Grim Reaper, you know, cloak, scythe, skeleton, all, all, all that, that was, you know, that, that traces its origins back to the, the, the Black Death, which is pretty cool. Um, but yes, as I say, it wasn't all doom and gloom and uh, there were, you know, There were a a few rather more positive things that emerged in the wake of the Black Plague uh, once it finally began to recede a little bit. First and foremost, first and foremost was an enormous uh, improvement in the quality of life of the European peasant. If you managed to survive, things looked a lot better for you afterwards. No longer were you a filthy, starving peasant. There were a lot fewer mouths to feed, so now you were just a filthy peasant uh, with plenty of food to go around because, of course, uh, they just, you know, the the amount of, of food that was being being grown, being being made for people now was was way more than actually was needed. Well, based on you know the the the, the previous population levels anyway. So there's plenty of food to go around, and and enormous uh, underpopulation led to a food surplus. So now people, uh, even poor people, very poor people, were uh, were still very well fed, and actually also not that poor because additionally, with so many people dead, there was also a huge labor shortage. Right which meant that wages rose like nobody's business. All of a sudden, you know, if you were just a, just a peasant worker or a labourer, you'd be stacking fat stacks of ducats, no worries at all as people, you know, as landowners and, and and farmers were desperate for anyone who would come and work their crops or, 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 you know, do stuff like that. So in the wake of the Black Death, again, if you survived, peasant populations were better paid And better fed, and on top of that, serfdom almost—I mean, basically completely collapsed in many places. In other areas, it you know went on for a little while, but quite a fair while actually, but five centuries or so. But in many places, it uh, you know it was the end of this uh, indentured servitude. Serfs were basically slaves; Uh, they could be bought and sold, uh, and 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 with the removal of uh, you know a lot of the old feudal systems like serfdom. Peasants were much freer to move about and and, and seek to better their situations. And, and that kind of social mobility just didn't really exist for a lot of people before the Black Death. Whereas now with the lower classes, uh, you know, having a lot more power thanks to the value of their labor, they're able to, uh, you know, Seek to improve their their overall quality of life, and, and again, maybe a bit of upward upward mobility there for the, for the lower classes. Now, of course, the upper classes did everything they could to curtail the power of the peasants. They passed laws about what they could wear or how much money they could ask for as uh, you know as wages, whatever else. But generally speaking, uh, the lot of your average uh, European peasant after the Black Death was much better than before. Now, of course, this didn't last. The peasants went back to being horrifically uh, oppressed in the coming dec- uh, decades. But look, hey, it was nice while it lasted. There were uprisings and riots that followed in the years to come. Um, we, we talked about the peasants' revolt, actually, in episode 88, about the long uh, about the longbow. Uh, but for a little while, at least, uh, peasants were richer, uh, better fed, and more socially mobile than uh, than ever before. Um, and environmentally, too, the Black Death had some very positive consequences uh, for just generally, you know, for just the environment. A lot of farmland was, was abandoned, just simply abandoned people. There weren't people to work it, and it didn't need to be worked in order to feed a, 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 a big population. So... Uh, entire villages and towns, uh, not not to mention just farmland, were, were just completely abandoned. And uh, this meant this led to widespread reforestation uh, across many parts of Europe, as uh, you know, domesticated grasslands and, and cleared farmland gave way to uh, to to you know native tree species and and, and forests creeping back uh, creeping back out there like that. So uh, you know, very very good for for the planet overall, um, and it also led to people looking for uh, to, for ways. Uh, to farm more efficiently, more effectively, with a focus on animal husbandry rather than grain farming, which obviously required less land. Obviously, it led to you know the things like the dairy, and the beef industry later on, which is obviously not great for the environment. But at the time, you know, the fact that a lot of uh, a lot of land was given back, you know, reclaimed by by uh, by wilderness, by by nature, there was obviously very very good for uh, for the planet. And uh, in addition, to the, the, in addition to all of this, the lot of women improved uh, a little bit too. Again, uh, with so many people dead. Uh, a lot of people inherited a lot of stuff, and generally it was usually just the eldest son who would get, you know, the uh, the good stuff that who would be who would benefit from an, an inheritance. But with so few people left to inherit, you know, so much stuff, there was a lot of stuff that uh, people had uh, had left behind as they uh, as they shuffled off this mortal coil. Um, a lot of it passed on to women because they were the only ones who were left in in many families. Many families had single surviving uh, members, and if they were women, they they would you know get a lot of things that they otherwise wouldn't have got otherwise. And so uh, it, it rose. Uh, you know, there were there were women who gained a lot of wealth, a lot of property, a lot of possessions that they otherwise wouldn't have had a, wouldn't have had a hope in hell of, of getting, of course, because of you know the prevailing laws and attitudes towards women at the time. There, so you know, good for a lot of women who who managed to better themselves in, in that uh, in that regard as well. And, uh, and finally, the last positive outcome I want to discuss here is it's a little speculative. It's not actually 100% certain that this is uh, you know, definitely what happened here, but it's still very interesting. There's a theory that suggests that the Renaissance was a direct consequence of the Black Death. Now, the Black Death, of course, uh, it, it had more people uh, than ever before asking some pretty fundamental questions about life in the universe, and specifically about religion, and ideas concerning the afterlife. Now, while this is just speculation, by no means confirmed, it's thought that in Italy, especially, of course, the the where the, where the Renaissance uh, flourished and blossomed, um, uh, Italy was particularly hard hit by the black uh, by the Black Death, and this is where more people than than anywhere else. Began to focus more on their lives here on Earth rather than worrying about what comes next. Start asking questions—social questions, political questions, uh, challenging religious norms that had been around for centuries—and this may have sparked a a big shift, you know, a fundamental shift in the way that people thought, and may have helped to usher in a renewed focus on art and on science and the real world in which we live, rather than you know the the all the stuff that the that the priests are going on about here. So look. This isn't confirmed, you know. This is this is just a theory. It is just speculation that uh, that this may have had a, a you know an influence there like that. It may not have as well. But it's interesting to think about the fact that you know a very real reminder of your own mortality and and the ultimate ultimate meaninglessness of of life here on earth um, may have provoked a, a great shift in thinking and and and, and provoked a uh, you know a renewed focus on on the arts and the sciences. In any case, in any case, it's safe to say that of course there were some very positive effects to go with the endless ranks of dead brought on by the Black Death. And and no matter how you slice it, it was a colossally important event in history. However, the story of the plague doesn't end with the Black Death. Because the Black Death, of course, as I said, it just refers to the point in history at which the plague was at its worst, but the plague didn't slink off and disappear oh no 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 not at all since the 14th century the plague has still claimed millions and millions of lives it's uh, it's emerged countless times it's been taken names all throughout history all you know all the way since back since uh, since the 1300s there there was an outbreak in England in in 1471 that killed another 10% of the english population and then again in 1479 and 1480 that claimed as much as 20% nearly half a million people died uh, the second time around. so almost a million people across those two events there and it killed more than a million people uh, in France in the 1620s and 30s, the worst outbreak ever recorded after the Black Death itself. And then in, uh, in the 1660s and 1670s, there was the Great Plague of London and, uh, and the Great Plague of Vienna. And then again, in the early 18th century, the Great Northern War had a plague outbreak that saw hundreds of thousands of deaths. So it's the, the war in which our good friend uh, Peter Tordenskjold fought, of course. But even into the 19th century, there were outbreaks in Malta, in Egypt, in the Balkans, and in 1881, so not even that, I mean, what, that's 100 and what, 140 years ago? In Oldham, outside Manchester. So even today, you know, even even if we pass over these big outbreaks, you know, the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people dying across the years, today, in the 21st century, the plague is still cutting about, although, of course, nowhere near the numbers that we've seen historically. These days, there are about 600 cases a year. Um, but with a vaccine, with antibiotics, with modern medical technology, the death rate has uh, has dropped from an estimated ninety to ninety five percent to around eleven percent. So it's uh, it's no longer, thankfully, getting the plague these days is uh, is no longer you know an absolute death sentence like it would have been uh, you know many hundreds of years ago. And I will tell you what, it's a bloody good thing too because right now with COVID nineteen obliterating the world's supplies of toilet paper, we got an, we got we got quite enough to be worried about. I reckon. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. Uh, that is the story of the Black Death. And a very interesting thing to learn about, especially obviously in today's climate with another pandemic uh, reaching its way across the globe. Interesting to see some of the parallels between, uh, you know, some of the thinking, some of the behaviour uh, from way back then and uh, and today in the 21st century. Very interesting indeed. So uh, I do hope you enjoyed. I do hope you enjoyed the story of the Black Death. And, and let's hope that we... Uh, well, let's hope we fare a little bit a little bit better this time around. It, it, it does look like the the wind is at least a little more in our sails uh, here in twenty in 2020. Anyway, that's that for another episode of Half Hour History. Thanks for hanging out with me. We've got all the boring housekeeping stuff coming your way, history.net. Please go there uh, to access old episodes. You can also find links to subscribe on Spotify, and on Android, on iTunes. Please leave a review if you've got a couple of minutes. I'd really appreciate that. You'd be doing a big favour um halfhousehistory.bigcartel.com is the merch site you can go and buy t-shirts magnets uh, badges notebooks you can get all of them at a discount if you like and uh free shipping free shipping on all orders as well so if you're uh, if you wanted to get some swag now's your time to do it if you uh if you want to support the show of course uh patreon.com slash history. i do appreciate each and every one of those uh those patreon members not equally not equally. Certainly some are more appreciated than others. There's a very clear stratified list. Uh, there, you know, there are different different levels of appreciation that you can purchase your way into. But uh, thank you so much to everyone who is supporting the show. And, and look, even the people who are just supporting to it, supporting it by listening to it. One of the best ways you can support the show that costs you absolutely zero dollars. If you're an enormous tight ass is just by telling your mates. Just tell your mates about the show. Have, get them to listen. Especially, you know, again, something interesting, something something topical. Don't be the boring person at a, at a house uh, at a house party. At a, at a well, don't don't go to a house party. Self isolate. But don't be the boring person on your Discord call, my friend. Uh, you know, have a listen to uh, to old episodes of half Fast History. Get your mates to have a listen to it as well and uh, and share the good word of, uh, of this rubbish history podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who's listening to this uh, show week in and week out, new and old listeners alike. Closing things out, of course, with a question posed on Reddit. This one, uh, all about the Black Death, all about the plague, of course. Uh, very relevant here. Asked by Reddit historian Lucktime Dragon, who wants to know, why do we say avoid it like the plague? From the sounds of all those dead people, the plague wasn't avoiding anyone.